On last week's episode, we continued the conversation with Lynn Vanti about what it was like being the romantic partner and liaison to the outside world to Ollie Christian Back, a man who was wanted in 182 countries for financial crimes. This week, we'll conclude the conversation with Lynn about the heightened drama in navigating life with a wanted criminal and the days leading up to his mysterious death. From Storic Media, you're listening to Codename Siren, a true crime podcast with Nina Hobson. I remember it very well. It was in Sweden, in Stockholm, and we had had a barbecue, just the two of us, of course. And, you know, he was just, like, ready. Yeah, he was ready. And then he was, like, uh, he, the, at that time, we had to rent movies. It was back in the days. It was the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> Elena, I know all about renting movies. We uh, went to rent the movie, and we were going to, so we were, like, having, like, we were going to see Blow with Johnny Duck the day that he died. So I remember I said to the police, I was, no, 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 he can't be that. We're going to see Blow tonight. Wow. So I was just, you know, in the shock. So, yeah, so we rented movies and I think it was, was it uh, some European football or, you know, some sports event going on that summer? He was watching on the telly and he was just like, you know, laying on the sofa, you know, talking the case through, planning with a new lawyer. So do, do you feel like you had, and we'll talk about what happened and how it ended next but do you feel like at the, the at times at the end although it was this chaos and you got guns and you got people following you and you were worried about hitmen coming to your door do you feel like there was some parts of normality between the two of you sitting barbecuing watching movies and that was uh, that was the strange thing Nina because it was most not and um, that that was what it was most of right it was most of natural things you know, uh, we went to the yeah, yeah, natural things. It's like when in, when in Oman, you go to the market and buy the chicken and the chicken is alive. And I say, you want to feel it? And, you know, I could feel it. And and he was like, ugh. And then, you know, they take the chicken and and then you go home. And he was like, he looked at me and he was like, seriously, this is still warm. I can't do this. Let's go to Carrefour and buy the chicken from the freezer. <laughs> And he was like, don't tell this to anyone. So, you know, we had, that was most, you know, what we did. And when we were in Oman, we were the only people at the beach because no one in Oman go to the beach. And, you know, the helicopter, the police helicopter was flying, you know, like this over us because I was obviously only in my bikini pants. So he was like, seriously. And uh, and we had so many, you know, happenings and uh, we went in Oman, and uh, he had he had shaved his hair, but his hair grew uh, fast. And since I used to be hairdresser, and in Oman, no women. You cannot see a female hairdresser anywhere. It's like, where do they do their hair? Of course, they don't, because they have all of this around here, so they don't have to do the hair. But anyways, he paid a barber shop, three guys of them, to sit and have lunch, so I could uh, do his hair because he wanted me to do his hair, you know. So we did a lot of this. We were out uh, swimming and uh, we were just standing in the sea talking like this. And all of a sudden he looked at me and he said, 
because I was standing with my back to the sea and he was standing with his back to the, to the beach. And they were standing like this, talking, just like this. And he was like, shh, don't move. And I was like, what is it? And he was like, just look at me all the time and just look at me. And I was like, what is it? And then in the side, I could see like a lemon coming. And it wasn't a lemon. It was a snake like this. Having the best time ever, you know, just floating on the waves in between us. And it was yellow as a lemon. Means very dangerous. So we had to call a friend that had to call a snake friend again. So they came and, you know, so we had a lot of, we had a lot of normal things like this. So yeah, normal stuff and many exciting stuff. And so it was like, and then of course, as I said, he had a really close uh, relationship to the first lawyer. So it was always on the f phone with him. And it was, you know, trying with a Norwegian guy that was coming down to do this and the guys in Dubai and try to get a new uh, identity. So it was, it was something all the time. And so what happened at the end? Uh, in the end, uh, when we were in Stockholm, we stayed in a place called Ekere, which is a very summer place. And uh, we had been searching the area and sneaked out. And uh, we found this little hippie place on a little farm where they sold, you know, they made their own honey and tea and food and all of that. So it was really nice. So we had lunch there one day and he said to me, you know, those guys over there? Mm, I'm not sure. So we left. And then, uh, in the night, at four o'clock in the morning, next morning, it came, uh, like, on the door. And he stood on the floor before I was even, you know, listening to the sound. And I had the gun under my pillow, and he just stood up, and he just did this in his hair, and he said, for fuck's sake, there's them. One zero to them. Day one, you have to put on the coffee. Mom, get up, put on the coffee. Because then he was, you know, obvious, he thought it was the police. So then he opened the door and it was this uh, elder guy, drunk-ish, outside. And he was like, hello, do you have cigarettes? And he was like, no, sorry, we don't smoke. And I was like, why is he up here asking for cigarettes? I mean, our cabin is the most hidden one, of course. He was on the run. So hmm, I was a little bit okay by that and then we were out the next day renting movies at the local movie shop we went into the gas station and had an ice cream and then went back and then the day after there uh, the morning three days after the guy uh, knocked on the door uh, i was writing that morning and he was being funny and was trying to disturb me and i was like can you please shut up just for an hour because i just 15 minutes Shh. i have to write this because when i write this like it just has to come out so don't don't talk to me and then we uh, we needed something for the breakfast and he said like a, like a little boy do you think i would manage to go to the store alone by myself because he never of course went any place alone so I was like, yeah, I guess you can go to, because it was just a local little grocery, just open for a summer guest. So I was like, we just need some eggs and uh, watermelon and um, dishwasher uh, soap would be nice. But I'm sure you can manage. And then he did. So he was like, okay, uh, put on the water and I will be back soon with the eggs. Send me a text if something else. Yeah, see you in 10. Yeah, okay. Bye. Bye, Tingling. Love you, he said And when he was driving down. And I said, bye, see you. And I went in and I continued to write. And then I was like, all of a sudden I was like, hmm, 
oh my God, he's gone 20 minutes. Where is he? And I send him a text and I say, are you okay? No respond. And he always responded before he got the text. I tried to call, no respond. And then all of a sudden I heard a lot of noise, like car chase. And it was not, uh, it was like a, a country road, you know, so you could hear right. when we were speeding on that road. So I went out and it was like uh, round, you know, the gate went away was like around that area and out. Right. So I could hear, and I it was just uh, down the road from the cabin, so I could hear, and I was like, God, what is going on? Tried to call him? No. Then the guy close, I called him with a gun, you know, and I said, this happened, can't uh, get in touch with him, please uh, help. He tried to call. He called me back two minutes later. He was, uh, I'm on my way out because he was stationed uh, in Centrum Stockholm. And I put my uh, flip-flops out and I went out walking because I just knew something was wrong. And I was walking there. Uh, and then all of a sudden this little car, an Audi A3. And that's not a big car. Right. With three grown-up men, all from 30 to 50-something inside. One of them is sitting uh and behind, he was like middle 50, looked like a normal, uh, regular neighbor guy. The two others, it was police written all over their uh, forehead, you know, two meters high, skinheads. And I was like, where the hell is your badge? Where is your police? Uh, where is your uh, blender? Where, 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 where is everything? Because when I came up the car, the black car stopped and I looked into his face and I just knew. And he looked at me and he came out of the car in a second and he just put my arm around and I looked up at him because he was a tall guy and I said, is he dead? And he said, yes. And then my legs couldn't move. So it was like he knew because he was just holding me like this, you know? So then we went back up to the cabin because this was only 50 meters from the cabin. And then I went into, like, I was just, I remember it. I was shocked. I was, uh, you know, as I said, no, 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 don't take the movies. We are going to look at that movie. And then I remembered, I said, because he had computers and I had the one that I was writing on. And I said, is this your computer? And I said, yes, I write on that. And I said to them, if you take that, and is this his computer? And said, they said, and I say, yes, but if you take that, and close it, you will not open it. And he looked at me and he said, don't you think we can manage that? Well, you know, I don't know, I don't know. But the the, the saying is that the guy is, you know, a, a, genie, a genie when it comes to tech. So I have no idea because I would like an old typewriter with paper. Yeah. So I have no idea. But do what you want to do. This is just what I'm told. So one year later, they told me they had to send it to Scotland or England or whatever. And they used eight months because it was so quick or whatever yeah yeah so uh, he was like you had right they searched the whole cabin they took me to stockholm uh, i slept at the hospital we went back the next day to the cabin and i had to lay down in the police car and it was one two three four five six police guys and two police dogs and 45 journalists around that cabin so the dogs and all of that was to keep them away when I came up. And then, um, yeah, I haven't seen him since he left for the store and was going to have buy his watermelon. 
And what did the police tell you happened? They told me. Uh, they told me. Them, it's like, okay, I know they think must think I'm stupid since I went uh, to be his boyfriend in this situation. So I guess everyone thinks I'm stupid. But don't tell me this. But they told me that uh, a guy on the local little shop where we bought groceries that's only open in the summertime had recognized him from the media. My ass, he has, hadn't. So they were told that he was in the area. So they had sent out uh, the police then because, I mean, don't tell me that he walked into the grocery shop and 10 minutes later he is dead and a 15-year-old in the grocery shop recognized this uh, middle-aged uh, finance crime man from 999. Right. So, but that was what they told me. And uh, then they told me that they... Um, uh, they tried to stop him and they didn't want to and they had a car uh, hunt and uh, that he uh, all of a sudden his car smashed into a tree and when they came uh, to see, when they came over to see, he was dead. So were they saying that it was a, a police chase that went wrong and he had an accident or were they saying he committed suicide and purposely drove into the tree? They say both. They say that it was a car uh, chase and that he all of a sudden stopped the car and killed himself. Right. And yeah, they say that it was a car chase. And when he hit the tree and they stopped uh, and was going to go over and see if he was okay and take him out, then uh, he was dead, they said, because then he had shot himself. Oh, so he shot himself as well at the same time, allegedly. Yeah, they said so, because I said, when he was going uh, to uh, to the store by himself, I followed him out. I was that nice, so I went away from the computer two minutes and I followed him out because I said, remember the gun, just in case. Because then I was, you know, remember the gun. Don't go anywhere right. without the gun. Excuse me, where are you going? Right. You know, I should never have said that. So the, 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 the report was it was a suicide that he... Yeah. What were your thoughts then and what are your thoughts now? The, my thoughts then was like, uh, seriously, okay, uh, I can't believe it uh, because uh, why would he do that now? I mean, then it, it doesn't make sense, you know what I mean? And I knew him and he wasn't uh, talking about committing suicide, uh, but obviously they often doesn't do that the one that actually do it. But, you know, yeah, it was uh, very strange. So, and I didn't believe it. And it was a lot happening because it was so sad because uh, I never heard from his kids or anything. So it was a big thing in the media. I was uh, sent to Norway and then I went to a psychiatric hospital because I was not like, I don't want to be out uh, chasing by, so you just put me in a safe place, put me in a psych ward or something. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and then I uh, remember I went for a walk and I went into a shop to buy some, you know, just some papers or magazines. And I saw on a, you know, typical glossy magazine, a tabloid magazine that comes out every week, that uh, Uli Christian Buck's girlfriend is not wanted in the funeral. And I was like, okay, uh, strange. Yeah, well. And then the first attorney, she called me and she said, you know, uh, I have, I'm very sorry, but uh, he's already uh, buried. 
because she said to me that we will let you know when we bring him from uh, Sweden to Norway so you can see because I was like I didn't think I didn't believe in the beginning that he was dead I said you have taken him right okay I don't believe I, I so I was like I don't believe that he's dead do you have taken him that was my first reaction the very moment the day right. he died right so I was like before I see that man dead I think that you have taken him so they were like we have to see uh, let her see him you know obviously that's quite normal also you know but I wasn't allowed to so I was just called a week later to tell to, to be told that he was already buried but she said to me you can come to my office in Oslo and you can see the pictures of him I can show them to you in my office so I did and so so she did and uh, when I have seen those pictures I uh, that was uh, good not good but it was okay I understand that he, he seems like he's dead because he was sitting in his car like this with his you know belt on and his door here obviously and he had just a little perfect uh, hole in here and some and he had white t-shirt as always and just a perfect red as I should have painted it myself you know red blood down here so he was perfectly fine he was beautiful he was look he looked he looked exactly like him when he was sleeping and i'm now at the police officer and i haven't killed anyone and it's like but i'm like hmm in a car chase going like 150 30 kilometers an hour that tiny little road and bumping and crashing into a tree and doing this in the car with a and looking so perfect, hmm. doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, they, they would, if they were the circumstances, there would be some, a mess. There would be a mess. You know, something went into a tree. And I mean, the car was, and there were two witnesses. So it's like, yeah, I would assume a little, in my book, it would be a little bit more messy if it was a suicide. Let me put it that way. Mm. Right. Yeah. Or an accident, like hitting a tree by accident. Exactly. So did anything happen, change? Did you challenge it? Did the family challenge it? No, uh, because as I said to you, I never spoke. I had spoken to one of his children once after he died, uh, but uh, I don't know. And uh, I didn't do it, of course, because the police has their own investigation when things like this happened. So then I was told, because they had this investigation, and I, when that was done, I was told, and, you know, I was sent the papers that, you know, nothing wrong happened. So And that was it. It was recorded as a suicide. Yeah. And to this day... What do you really think happened? Today, I don't uh, think he did uh, commit suicide at all. I think uh, they just shot him. And that was it, because it was a little bit prestige in him. Because, as I told you, the, it seemed that the journalists could have get a hold of him all the time. He was on the papers. He was doing this documentary with this woman that paid, you know, and he was... And the police was like, for fuck's sake, we are going to get him. I, you know, excuse my French and language, but I think actually, I think actually that is what happened. Because he didn't put them in a good light, you know? Right. 
So, and it's a little country. We are not many people. So, you know, they have to, you know, we can do something right because they do a lot of mass all the time. Shouldn't think it was, uh, you know, necessary, but it's like, yeah. So they had that in an investigation. From it's like funny because the police investigate the police, or yeah, and they or they never do anything wrong. And it's like after that, of course, I paid attention to when you know when the police is like, why don't they just go for the knee? Why do they have to shoot people all the time? They have done that in Norway a couple of times, and it's like, why don't you just shoot him in the knee and get him down and take him into the hospital, fix the knee, put him into prison, do the thing? It's like, why don't you? Why don't you have to kill them? Yeah. Seriously. Has, Lynn, has anyone ever done an independent investigation into this? I mean, because things like a, a gunshot are easily easily proven which gun it comes from, you know, the, just the way somebody is sat. So that if the pictures are there, there's obviously it's something that could be investigated. Are you aware if anyone has actually done an investigation other than the police? No, I don't think so. I don't know. See, now you've got me wanting to do the investigations. So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And what what has life been like for you since then? And how have you got by? Uh, since then, uh, I have uh, struggled, of course, with uh, my, uh, bad, you know, my guilt and what I put my kids through and all of that. So... But luckily, I have uh, my kids are my kids, so uh, we have uh, worked uh, through that. We still do it. We can always talk about it. But it, of course, it has been. It's like I said, Norway is a little country, and I like to present it like everything is perfect. And many people think that Norway is perfect, rich, perfectly little country up in north. It's not that, but they are very. They wrap it in in a very glossy paper, so it seems very nice. It's not nice inside at all. In many ways, unfortunately. It's like you've been pointing fingers at from four and a half, five million people and judging you, and saying a lot of stuff of you, thinking they know you, you know, you know, you can just imagine huh? how that was. So it was not okay at all. And then uh, five, six, seven, Five years later, then when my son was uh, in his middle teenager, he started, uh, he tried drugs as every teenager do, unfortunately, these days, and he's an addict. So both of my kids have tried uh, drugs, but she is not an addict, he is. So he was addicted the first time. And he still is fighting his heroin addiction, and that he is still breathing is a miracle. And Everyone in the system doesn't understand how he's still alive. So, and in the beginning of this, I blamed myself. And I was blamed for it, of course. He is using drugs because you did that to him. So, uh, I started uh, going to the 12 step program for codependent uh, 13, 14 years ago. So, when you asked, in the beginning with Ole Christian, I, I have always been very codependent. So I actually thought, and I didn't know I was codependent. I didn't know the word right. uh, that back then. So when I was when I was starting in the program, and I have after that, I went to school, taken therapist education, and one of the guys said to me, and he knows Ole Christian because he's the same age and was from the same town, and he is now uh, also a twelve stepper and has this. Uh, 
treatment center. And he said to me, you tried to fix him. You even tried, you know, he was wanted from 182 people. Leave it up to you to try to fix it, you know. <laughs> and you didn't even know you were a codependent uh, woman. So uh, I've learned a uh, lot uh, about myself uh, after I found the 12-step program. So that's my uh, saving, actually. Uh, so that saved my life because I know that his addiction isn't uh, my fault. It's a disease. But of course, uh, he has been in and out of prison since he was 17. So I have I met the police uh, when I was meeting Ole Christian. That was my first meeting with the police. So that's my first impression of them as, you know, an organ of what you call it uh, in your country. And uh, then I have been dealing with them as a mom. And I have also been dealing with them uh, when I have worked in an institution for uh, children and uh, teenagers, which are very dangerous. So I have been, uh, you know, dealing with, um, dealing with, but, you know, have to talk to the police for many, many years now. So that has affected me uh, in a way that I don't like, but in another way, I am like, I can't go back and do it uh, again. And uh, don't ask me if I would do it again, because it's just a silly question. But what I can do is to make sure that, you know, I do the best for me and uh, my kids and family and uh, that we just own this story and I have turned down podcasts in Norway for how many years is it 17 15, 16 17 years now I have turned down movie I have turned down a lot of things and uh, so this is the first time I speak uh, on a podcast about it actually and I do it in another language so I must be crazy <laughs> Because I can't express myself the way I used to do. So, <laughs> Well, thank you for, for using Codename Siren to tell your story. It's fascinating. I know that there's more for us to talk about. I would like to talk about, you know, the, the police system because I obviously um, yes. was a cop and now I have a, um, a different relationship with them, let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, but um, I guess you are needed. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would love to talk more. And being a mom, you know, I've had an unusual life and I'm a mom and you've had an unusual life for different reasons and you're a mom. And, Absolutely. And um, so I, I do think that there's, if you are willing, there's definitely more for us to talk about. I just actually want to ha hang out, actually, and you know, we could hang out. And <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. I was actually, you know, I, I have, of course, I have done my uh, research, so I've been listening to uh, your podcasts, not everyone, but uh, six or seven of them. And I was listening to one today, among others, and I was like, oh my God, I have to say this to her, because that's, uh, you were talking about um, uh, women that have been raped, because I was raped by the head doctor at the gynecologist uh, when I was 18 to 20. And he had to, he went down and he had 184 victims, I think. So, and I didn't say a word to anyone because before I was 40. So it was when you, it was like, oh my God, this is exactly. <laughs> that be something that you would talk about? I can talk about that because that is obviously, it's like, how could you be with Ole Christian? It's like, it comes from a place, but I only, I know my story and I don't want to tell that to everyone. Yeah. 
You know, it's like I can do it. It's like I can write a book. I can tell it in a podcast. It's like I would sell my story. If, as I said, when the Norwegians wanted to make a movie, it's like, of course, I understand that this story is made for a screen. And no offense to the Norwegian film industry, but again, we are 5 million people up there. So it goes without saying that that movie isn't going to be the best one in the world. So if someone is going to make a movie of my story, I want to play with the best boys in the class. It's going to be the best one. If they want to make a movie, they can do it. But uh, I want to take control of my, because it's my story. So it's me to tell. Yeah. So that's, it's like, so it's like uh, when, uh, and it was just a coincidence that we met and I just like felt immediately I could talk to you. So that doesn't, that doesn't happen very often. So yeah, thank you. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. There are many theories that surround the mysterious death of Ollie Christian Beck. None of his actions leading up to his death would give the impression of a man that wanted to take his own life. But until an outside investigation is done, we may never know what really happened. It was a great pleasure having Lynn share her story with me, and we look forward to more conversations with her in episodes to come. Until next time, I'm Nina Hobson. And this has been Codename Siren. <laughs>